I, I don't know if you've um, ever been on a like a hike up a mountain, like in Snowdonia or somewhere. But if you if you climb mountains, what they what they tend to have along the paths every now and then are these kind of um, curved walls that somebody's built, these dry stone walls. And the idea of these walls is that you, um, when it's really windy and the weather's going crazy, you're, you're able to almost like just take shelter behind them for a little bit. You, you pause from the hike. You come in out the wind. You eat a Mars bar or something to give you a little bit of energy. You regroup, and then you go back out and you carry on going. And one of the uh, pictures that I sometimes have of church when we gather together like this is a little bit like that. It's that we are on, as it were, the hike of life. And it's often hard work. And it's like sometimes it's noisy and the wind is blowing and it just feels crazy. And what time like this can be is like an opportunity to, as it were, come in out of the wind and just be for a moment, regroup, eat the equivalent of a Mars bar, and kind of get our bearings a little bit for where we are and where we're going, and then we go back and we carry on the hike as we, as we go off um, from here. And the, uh, the kind of, the truth, there's this one truth that I suppose if we were going to eat a Mars bar, this would be the Mars bar that I want us to just dwell on together for a little bit this morning, is found in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it's something Paul writes to this young church in Ephesus. And I'm just going to read two verses today. It's all I want to talk on, two verses. Ephesians 1, verse 13 is where I'll start. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Um, so really, this is an extension of what we were talking about last week when the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit being given to us and all that that means. I don't know if you have ever found yourself like this, but what I find is from time to time, when I sit down at my laptop to write a talk, I end up doing something called procrastinating. And uh, the thing that gets me is not actually Instagram, it's not Twitter, it's YouTube. I find that I can spend hours just watching, going down a whole rabbit warren of stuff on YouTube. And if you're ever interested in wasting an hour of your life, I would suggest you type in the word proposal into the search bar on YouTube, because then all these people's, their elaborate proposals come up. And uh, there's one that just really got me. There's a reason I'm showing it to you, but I'm also just showing it to you because I like this video. So I want to show you in a second a video from YouTube of, some, of a guy proposing to his girlfriend just to give you the context, it's at the sort of the high school, and you can see in the bottom left of the screen a little box with him sitting next to his girlfriend for the first part of the video. And she doesn't have a clue what's about to happen, and then obviously the rest kind of tells itself, really. So, should we watch the video? Good job. 
if you're wiping a tear away there. It's uh, one of the things that I think about with that video is that all the teenage girls that were involved in the making of that video, he's just set the standard for their proposal that they would expect. So if they're on a park bench and someone just gets down on one knee, they're going to be like, where are the dancers? Um, and you think, you know, engagement. We make a big deal out of it and we celebrate it, and rightly so. We celebrate it in our church. But then you've got to ask the question, why do we do this? It's not like they're married. Um, what, what's happened? But something significant has happened in a moment of engagement because you go from calling the person your girlfriend or your boyfriend to calling them the fiancé. Because what you've done in that moment is you've made a pledge, you've made a promise that the future now is the two of you getting married. That is the future. That is the only option from this point on. Yes, there's a period of waiting, but from this point on, the future is defined. And, uh, you know, the ring on the finger, that's the sign. I don't know if you saw that moment where she showed everybody the ring and jumped up and down. If there's a definition, by the way, of jumping for joy, that was it. Um, and one of the things that I've just been thinking about as I've, as I've spent time just meditating again on who it is that we follow, the story it is that we've come to trust in, is, is the fact that, and I know this sounds a bit weird, and particularly if you're here for the first time, this might seem strange, but... We have been chosen by God. And we are living at a time where we've come to know Jesus as he is. There's nothing false about the Jesus that we're in a relationship with. And yet, we will one day see him face to face. And in this time in between, it's as though, you could use this picture of engagement, it's as though we've become engaged. We, we have a future there is no other alternative to our future now other than the fact that we are going to be with him. And the sign of that, the deposit, the engagement ring, if you will, that, that, that is, we talked about in this verse is the deposit of the Holy Spirit that he has put into our hearts, sealed us with his spirit, ensuring, guaranteeing that our future is with him. And this is... This is, this is quite a Mars bar to eat, if I can put it like this, to, to chew on and to digest. I should probably use a more nutritious example of food. This is a fillet steak, or if you're a vegetarian, a really nice pepper. This is something 
incredible that you want to get in your digestive system because of the implications of it. And, and so think about it like, you know, for me, I was just thinking the other day, what will my dominant emotion be when I see Jesus face to face? You know, when I begin, you know, the, the kind of like the, the dawn of, of, of a new life with him forever in wholeness and peace and everything that we understand the future with God to be. What will my emotion be? And if I'm honest, what I thought is my main emotion will be relief. Oh my word, I made it. You know, I got here. I hung in long enough. And I just thought that can't be right. Because if I'm thinking my main emotion then is going to be relief, what that says is what I feel now is insecure. What I feel now is, is afraid, and I do at times. I, I don't know if you ever feel that, but worried I'm going to mess up. Worried I'm, I'm going to do something else to disappoint him, and that maybe he'll change his mind on, on some level when it comes to me. And um, to get this truth in this verse about what the Spirit says is it melts away the insecurity, like, like the sun melts ice. It, 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 it warms us up to the truth of his love. And when we understand it, our reaction will put Lina's reaction on that little video to shame the joy that we will know. And so to unpack it a little bit, um, there's a word that's used in these verses, a Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek, and it's the word arabon. And it's translated um, like this. It says, a deposit guaranteeing, a deposit guaranteeing. And the word in modern Greek is used for an engagement ring, but actually at the time the New Testament was written, the word wasn't really used for an engagement ring, it was less romantic than that. It was used for a down payment or a deposit that you would pay on something. So if you're gonna buy, I don't know, a donkey for 100 pounds, you pay like a 20 pound down payment to secure the donkey at 20 pounds. And it's, it's, a, it's a deposit that this thing is now yours. And so the language is legal and it's transactional and it's sort of language from a commercial setting. And, and because of that, it can be tempting to dismiss it. Oh, I preferred the first image. You know, if Bruno Mars in his song had instead written, it's a beautiful night looking for something fun to do. Hey baby, I think I wanna put a down payment on you. I'm not sure the song would have been quite the success that it was, right? It's, it's like, oh, I prefer the first one. But Paul's using this image, and he's using it for a reason. And what he wants to communicate to us is the no-going-backness of what has taken place. The fact that when we've come to know him, and we've begun a relationship with him, it's signed and sealed that it will be, it can never be reversed, that this can never be broken, that this is how it is now. The down payment has been made. And so in the same way that when you pay 20 pound on, let's say, the donkey, you secure it as if you've paid 100. He's given a down payment, and he, is, he has secured us, and we have secured our future with him forever now. And what that means, let me just... Make it really clear, we can never, ever lose him. And he is our salvation. He is the prize. Uh, our relationship with God is, can, cannot be undone. We can be as sure of that now 
as we will be when we one day see him face to face. We can have the same confidence and assurance of that right now in this moment. And, and even as I say it, there's something in me that rises up that says, yeah, but what about people who walk away? Now, how can I be sure if other people have followed him and then they've rejected him and they've walked away? And the truth is, if you reject God, he will let you walk away. If you actively do not want to have anything to do with him, then he'll allow us that choice. He gives us the dignity of free will. But um, if you don't want that, if you want to be with him, you always will be. If that's our desire, we need not fear an accident. We don't need to, to worry that our incompetence will get in the way or that our sin will trip us up because it all depends on him. The great basis for our joy, the, the reason it can be like a well springing up inside of us, though all around us feels insecure and it feels dark, is not because of us and our determination to hold on to him. It's because of him and the fact that he will never let us go. And as a sign, as a, as, a, as a way of sealing that in our hearts, he has given us the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, for me, the more I've understood this, the more I've just marveled at it. So one of the words that's described, uh, that is used to describe the Spirit is that he is a foretaste of everything that is to come. And uh, that what he, what he gives to us now when we, when we receive him is just a tiny taste of everything that we have ahead of us. And just to be clear, any of us who follow Jesus, any of us who said yes to him as Lord, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. So yes, there's a place, and I long for more of the Holy Spirit to be filled again and again and again. Like we read in the book of Acts, they were. And we want to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And yet at the same time, what this verse tells us is that when we gave ourselves to him, we were sealed with the Spirit, whether we were aware of it at that moment or not. To be, to be a Christian and to say, I don't have the Holy Spirit, is like thinking you can be alive and not have a heartbeat. He brings us to life. That's how we've come to know him. And this idea of him as a foretaste of all that is to come, it's like, I, I think of it like spring. Do you remember back to Christmas? It feels like, to me, it feels like a lifetime ago, but it was, it was everything was happening with Omicron and it was, it, the weather was miserable and it just felt like, oh my word, will I ever be warm again? And will the sky ever not be gray again? And you're just wandering around in this kind of like, this, this haze of, of, of grayness and then one day you walk along and you see a daffodil in the park. And the daffodil is fragile and it can be stepped on and crushed. And if my boys are in the area, it almost certainly will be. But what it is, this, this tiny little fragile thing, is it's a sign of something inevitable that is coming. Life is coming. Warmth is coming. And in the same way, the gift of the Spirit, he works in our lives. And it's like so often he's so gentle. So often it, it almost seems fragile and yet the spirit of the living God has come inside of us and there is inevitable life that will follow on. Inevitable life that is in our future ahead of us. And um, another kind of picture for the spirit that we have in the scripture is, is breath. 
And there's, um, there's a moment in, in the story of the Garden of Eden, if you've ever read it, where it talks about Adam coming to life. It's, it's, it's like life is breathed into him almost. And then Jesus, when he comes to the disciples after the resurrection, in John's gospel, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. There's an, there's an intimacy in that. It's, it's almost, and this is my language, not the scriptures, but it's almost like he seals our relationship with a kiss. He seals it with his, his own breath. And to think that we can come to know him and have his spirit inside of us and that not have an effect, it's because if we think that, it's because we, and I do sometimes, we haven't appreciated what's taken place. I have to watch all these Disney films with my boys and, and like I watched Snow White not that long ago and there's, there she is in her enchanted sleep. Who is going to wake her up and how is he going to do it? Prince Charming comes along and the kiss of true love and boom, she's awake. Beauty and the Beast. There's this guy, he's a beast. He's not really who he's meant to be and suddenly he falls in love and the power of that love transforms him and it's sealed with a kiss. And in the same way, it's as if the Father breathes his breath into us and we begin to awake from an enchantment. It's like we begin to come alive, as it were, for the first time, to see things as they were meant to be seen. Those parts of our souls that are ugly, they begin to be made beautiful in his presence. He seals us with his spirit and the spirit is a foretaste of everything that is ahead. I don't know if you've ever read um, the Narnia books, but the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, C.S. Lewis paints this picture because um, at the start, the children arrive in Narnia and it's always winter and never Christmas. And then one of the first signs that Aslan is, is on the move, Aslan represents Jesus, is that the snow begins to melt, the weather begins to change. And the baddie in the Narnia story is the white witch. And she goes around and she stabs people with her wand. And when she stabs them, they turn to stone. They turn to this kind of like white marble. And there's this moment where Aslan makes his move and he breaks into the witch's fortress. And in the fortress, there's a courtyard and it's filled with stone statues of the different animals who she's, she stabbed. And Aslan goes up to this statue of a lion and he breathes on the lion. And then Lewis describes what happens next. When Aslan breathes on this stone lion, he puts it like this. I expect you've seen someone put a lighted match to a bit of newspaper, which is propped up in a grate against an unlit fire. And for a second, nothing seems to have happened. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping along the edge of the newspaper. It was like that now. For a second, after Aslan had breathed upon him, the stone lion looked just the same. Then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back. Then it spread. Then the color seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a bit of paper. Then, while his hindquarters were still obviously stone, the lion shook his mane, and all the heavy stone folds rippled into living hair. Then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and gave a prodigious yawn. And now his hind legs had come to life. He lifted one of them and scratched himself. Of course, as he walked off, the children's eyes turned to follow the lion, but the sight they saw was so wonderful that they soon forgot about him. Everywhere, the statues were coming to life. Creatures were running after Aslan and dancing round him till he was almost hidden in the crowd. Instead of all that deadly white, the courtyard was now a blaze of colors. And instead of the deadly silence, the whole place rang with the sound of happy roarings, brayings, 
yelpings, barkings, squealings, cooings, neighings, stampings, shouts, hurrahs, songs, and laughter. And what, what I'm saying, it might sound far-fetched and romantic, but it's real. The Spirit of God comes and he dwells in us. The power of the everlasting winter is broken and we start to come to life. And it's like he begins to change us from the inside out. In the same way that if you had a torch that didn't work, it's like he's changed our batteries and suddenly we light up. And this is, and here's the kicker of the verse, this is what we've tasted of the Spirit thus far. This is just the beginning. And that the future that we have with him is guaranteed to us. It's not ours if we play our cards right, maybe if we do our bit well. It's not that that's the guarantee. It's guaranteed to us because he has put his deposit inside of us. And so those things that we experience today, which is God's work in our life now, those little victories are signs of the greater victory to come. And so that little victory that we win over the habit we're trying to break, that little victory is a sign of a greater freedom that will come. That, that, that moment that we choose not to be selfish and to for once prefer another person, that is a little sign of what we're being made into. The little bit of peace that sometimes we experience in the midst of, of, of turmoil, but we somehow have a little taste of God's peace in the midst of that, that's a sign of an everlasting peace that we will never lose. And what's ahead of us is wholeness. What's ahead of us is freedom from those things that grip us, freedom from those lies that sometimes torment us. It's, it's, it's becoming fully who he's made us to be. That's what's ahead. And what we get to experience now is the future of that. So if you have, for example, a little grape of patience, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in the Scripture, a little grape of patience that has grown in you in the years that you have known him, or you have a little blueberry of joy that has sprung up in the last decade, or you have, I don't know, a raspberry of, of peace or something, and you call Jesus Christ Savior, then you are destined for an eternal inheritance. And the, the, the truth is, this is not just a sign for what will happen for us in our lives, but this is a cosmic thing, if you can believe it. These little victories we experience are a sign of the fact that the Lord is making all things new in the world around us. And further... If the deposit of the Spirit is assigned to us a promise of everything that we will experience in the future, it's not just um, about the fact that we have all of him to come. It's also about the fact that he wants to guarantee to himself you. So if I put a deposit on a room, what that does is it guarantees that that room is mine. No one else can go and stay in that room because I've paid my deposit on it and it belongs to me now. Well, he has put a deposit on us. And in that sense, what he's done is he's guaranteed us to him. It's like no one can take us away from him now. No one can get us out of his hand now. Um, I think of it a bit like this. I'm becoming increasingly aware that Mike is getting, he's getting elderly. And he's forgetting things. And he's He's getting into trouble, and it's a bit dangerous because he flies all over the world, and, you know, I start to worry for him. Just the other day, he got lost in Munich at nighttime and had nowhere, you know, didn't know what he was doing. He was WhatsApping the whole team, being like, can someone find the number of the German police in case I get into trouble? So I'm getting concerned. 
And um, I'm just wondering whether we should do that thing for him that, you know, you do for like really old people who just wander off, where like we should get some kind of a sign that says, um, this is the property of Soul Survivor Watford. <laughs> and I don't know, we hang it around his neck. And that means if he, if he, you know, please return to Unit 5, Grey Cane Road. So if he is found somewhere in Watford, that they can send him back, or, you know, particularly because he is traveling, we can say, we'll lend him to you over there in Italy, but we want him back, all right? He belongs to us. Well, it's as if the Father, in giving us the Spirit, has said, they belong to me now. They belong to me. I saw them. I set my eye on them before the world was ever made. I promised them to my son. And he's redeemed them with his life. And I've put my spirit inside of them because they're precious to me. No one else can live in them now. They belong to me. We have been sealed with his spirit. And when we get this, it changes everything. And part of it is coming to understand he hasn't sealed me with like a, a possession he's given to me, but with, not with something, but with someone. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He himself has dwelled inside of me. He can't abandon me without abandoning himself now. He's inside of me. He's embraced my soul. This isn't a sign that I've tattooed onto my arm. It's something written into my spirit. Someone has come to dwell inside of me. And, and the truth is, when we get this, like Lina jumping up and down, it's like, this is my future now. It's never going to change. There's nowhere I can go, the psalmist says, where I can be away from your presence. Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go to the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. I, I belong to you is another way of putting it. Stevie Wonder, the modern psalmist, I want to say to the Lord when I see him, here I am, baby, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. It's like, you're in me, right? There's, this is how it is, and we can rejoice in this, and we can rest in it. We can trust in it. We can celebrate it. Um, Beth and I, I finished with this, when we got engaged, um, I asked, I did my research, you know, obviously I didn't have anything that fancy, I'm not going to show you a video, uh, but uh, I did my research and I wanted to find out what sort of a ring she wanted and I spoke to her, one of her close friends and I spoke to her mum and they both made it clear to me that Beth had said to them, were I to ever ask that question, that I was to be told she in no way trusted my judgment to choose a ring for her. <laughs> and so I had to propose with no ring, which I did. And then we ordered a ring that she chose. And then there was this waiting period while we waited for the ring to arrive. And I remember, we, you know, Beth was a student at university. We spoke on the phone often, and she was just getting really annoyed that the ring hadn't got there yet. And she, at one point, she just said to me, it's just so annoying. I want to put the ring on my finger because I want everybody to know that I'm taken. And she is, by the way. I want everyone to know that I'm taken. You know what? We can, we can wake up in the morning with this truth in our spirits. We can look in the mirror and we can say, I am taken. I am spoken for. He has captured my heart. Our emotions go up and down, up and down, up and down. Our insecurities are so loud sometimes, but we have 
a guarantee. And that's deeper than emotion in a moment. We have a guarantee we belong to him. And to finish, we get to live in this time of tension where we know what is assured to us, and yet we have not yet experienced it fully. And so in a weird way, we can be satisfied with all that we know of God and yet long for more. We can know that we are sealed with his spirit beyond all question and yet at the same time be like, but I want more of your spirit. I long for more peace in my heart. I long to see you more clearly or give me the gift of faith or I feel so powerless as I'm trying to live for you. And what he wants us to do is number one, rest in what he has done. But also number two, ask, seek and knock for more of his presence in our lives. And as we do that, we will find he is more than willing to pour out again and again and again his very presence into our hearts.